Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens, coming to you from dystopian Burlington, Vermont, on January 20th, 2024. Let's talk about the Federal Aviation Administration. Like everybody else, they are woke, and they want them some diversity. The diversity equity and inclusion cult is still strong. And we talked about this last week, asking, and we'll get into this later in the show because you, you all gave some good feedback. Is woke peaking? Is it cresting? Because it doesn't seem like that to me. It seems like they're pushing harder and harder. The more that people see what's wrong with this alleged anti-racist activity, which is in fact just simply racism itself, the more people object to woke, the harder top-level government agencies are pushing it. Um, and some of the most extreme things are coming out of actually important federal agencies like the Federal Aviation Administration. Now, you know, <laughs> air safety is on people's minds because of what we've seen lately. A couple weeks ago, we saw a door blow out of a Boeing 737 while people were cruising at 16,000 feet. Thankfully, nobody was sucked out, nobody was injured, but they were sure scared as hell and people could have died. Over the past few months, we have seen report after report of what they call runway incursions, which is when two aircraft collide or contact each other on a runway when they, they're not spaced out properly. There are big problems in air traffic control with competence. Just the other day, I saw another one. Uh, there was a flight, cargo flight that left Miami International Airport, a 747 cargo plane, um, and fire starts shooting out of one of the engines. They had to turn around and come back. Now, this is not, obviously, all of this stuff is not directly the fault of the FAA, and some of it is not directly the fault of whoever is flying the plane, but this is a system that works together. And the FAA is making a lot of noise about diversity in hiring lately. Let me show you some images from their website. They have a whole diversity and inclusion page on their website. You see it here. Diversity takes flight. Well, does it? From the FAA. And, and I want to say something about this, too, because I, I, I anticipate some of the objection that may come up here. Number one. I understand that the Federal Aviation Administration is not the one who hires pilots. I am not suggesting that this move by the FAA is going to put certain kinds of pilots in planes. I know that, okay? I also understand that there are all sorts of jobs at the FAA that are not what you would call mission critical. But the problem that we want to talk about here is the FAA's focus. Why are they motivated to go for diversity in hiring because to the degree, and you're going to see the degree to which they are motivated to do this, to the degree that they are so motivated, their eye is off the ball. And their ball is safety and efficiency. That is what they are chartered for. They are chartered to promote aviation and to ensure its safety. The only thing the FAA should be thinking about when they hire staff at any level is, are they the best candidate we can get? Because whether you're just a paper pusher or whether you're somebody who's making actually critical safety decisions at the FAA, you are all dependent on each other. You are part of a chain. So let's quote from the FAA. Diversity is integral to achieving FAA's mission of ensuring safe and efficient travel across our nation and beyond. Our inclusive culture is defined by our values, and we continuously seek employees from all backgrounds with distinctive ideas, perspectives, insights, and talents. As our next-gen technology and systems continue to evolve to meet the aviation challenges of tomorrow, so must our workforce. Nonsense. Nonsense. There are no aviation challenges of tomorrow that are any different from the aviation challenges of today or any different from the aviation challenges of yesterday. Those challenges are make sure aviation is safe. Make sure the plane doesn't fall out of the sky. Don't kill the passengers. Don't let traffic collide. That is the aviation challenge. That is the only aviation challenge. There's no different aviation, a more diverse aviation. Shut up. More. Because diversity is so critical, 
FAA actively supports and engages in a variety of associations, programs, coalitions, and initiatives to support and accommodate employees from diverse communities and backgrounds. Our people are our strength, and we take great care in investing in and valuing them as such. Oh, it's mind-numbing. Oh, it is mind-numbing. And it's so dishonest. It's so inauthentic. You know, you know they don't really mean this. Oh, they mean it enough to do it, and they, and they mean it enough to recite the Kant in the accent and in the language that this is called for. But this, is, this is disturbing, because diversity is so critical. No, it isn't. Competence is critical. That's what's critical in a safety job, competence, not diversity. Finally, the mission of the FAA involves securing the skies of a, here we go again, a diverse nation. It only makes sense that the workforce responsible for that mission reflects the nation it serves. Oh, really? Do you want a me flying the plane? Because I don't. <laughs> I'm a diverse. I'm a diversity. I'm a the gay. What the hell does that have to do with flying an airplane or making decisions about flying an airplane or making a decision about um, where you allocate resources in uh, air crash investigations? What rules air traffic controllers have to um, have to abide by to keep separation? Diversity has nothing to do with this. Only competence has something to do with this. So what are they doing to ensure that their workforce reflects this diverse nation. Well, here, here is from their dedicated page on diversity and hiring. People with disabilities, individuals with targeted or, quote, severe disabilities. Yes, they, they put the quotes on that to make sure that you know they don't really mean it and it's not really severe even if it is. Individuals with targeted or severe disabilities are the most underrepresented segment of the federal workforce. The People with Disabilities Program, PWD, ensures that people with disabilities have equal federal, federal employment opportunities. The FAA actively recruits, hires, promotes, retains, develops, and advances people with disabilities. The FAA meets the goals of the PWD program through a variety of practices, such as... And then, oh, we're in the definition section now. This is what they call targeted disabilities. These are the disabilities they are targeting in hiring. These are the ones that they want. Targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government, as a matter of policy, has identified for special emphasis in recruitment and hiring. They include hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. <laughs> Do they hear themselves? Have they listened to themselves? Unbelievable. I, look. I should, oh, you know, I, I do. I know that I have to. I know I have to say this, but I, I resent that I have to say this. Obviously, I understand that deaf people or blind people or people missing one leg or people who are paraplegic are capable of performing jobs. I'm sure there are plenty of jobs at the FAA that people with all manner of these disabilities can perform. This is not an argument against jobs for the disabled. But this should not be their focus. The FAA is not a sheltered workshop or advocacy organization for the psychiatrically or mentally impaired. This is not their job. Their job is to protect the friendly skies that you and I fly on. It's, it's, it's almost as if this, it's akin to white guilt in a way, right? Where everybody, everybody who's right thinking who is white, thinks that they have a moral duty. It's almost like God told them that their emotional energy should be, should be spent looking for ways to help a disadvantaged community. No, no, that's what advocacy groups are for.
That's what coalitions for the disabled and the mentally ill are for. This is what the NGO sector is for, not the government and not a government safety agency. And I mean, severe intellectual disability, do you know what that means? Let me give you a plain English translation. It means mentally retarded. And no, I'm not talking down the mentally retarded, but they are, are they not the mentally retarded? Severe intellectual disability. Why? Wake up, people. Wake up. It's not stopping. All right. I want to get into some, um, a request from a viewer, actually. And I, I, I call this segment Morning the False Parent. Jonathan is a supporter of the show, and he wrote and he said, Josh, I would love to hear you talk about the sense of loss that comes from finally giving up on ever having a normal relationship with a cluster B parent, a personality disorder parent. In my experience, it's unusual because it's not the loss of something you ever actually had, a normal, functional, stable parent, but rather the loss of an ideal that you'd always hoped would materialize. <clears throat> Then the realization sets in that you'll never have it, and it's just best to let it go. There's no closure like there is with the loss or death of a parent. The ultimate unrequited love. Thanks again for your wonderfully entertaining and beautifully produced show that somehow always leaves me simultaneously <clears throat> uplifted and disheartened, you clever bastards. Well, Jonathan, you and me both, although I can't say that I've ever left myself uplifted. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yeah. Mourning the false parent. This is a death, but it is a death unlike other deaths. It's not like when you actually lose someone to death. You can point to that and say, that person's missing from my life because they're dead and it aches and it hurts. It's not like that. When you wake up to your parent, who they really are, that abusive parent, it is as painful as death but it has even less resolution because they're not actually dead. What is dead is a fantasy that you created in your head. So there's a, there's a double sting here. You're not only mourning the loss of someone who never existed, you're mourning the loss of a father who loved you because that man never existed. He never did love you. Not that way. Not the way normal people do. But you know that you also created that fantasy in your head. Understandably. You know, it's not your fault. I did it. Many people watching have done it. You have to. How do you get through childhood believing that your parents don't love you? Much more difficult. Better to create a fantasy. But you have to let that fantasy go. Um, <clears throat> letting that fantasy go and facing it was the most difficult part of the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life when I had to put my mother out of my life seven years ago. Um, the hardest part was realizing that my mother did not love her children. She really did not because she could not. She's not capable. As many people like this are not actually capable. They don't know what love is. They don't know how to give it and they don't know how to receive or experience it. They may think they do, but they don't. <clears throat> and the death of that mother figure for me was, was really, really painful. And I realized when I was mourning the false mother that I had known this for a long time, not consciously, but my subconscious knew it, my dreams knew it because they told me about it for decades when I could remember my dreams. I don't remember them anymore. I, most of my dreams were nightmares and a great number of them were about my mother. I would have, I would have nightmares that my mother would show up at my place of work with the police and have me arrested and have my job taken away from me because I, I, I lied and I wasn't qualified for the job. Um, I dreamt that I was walking across the stage to get my diploma in college and my mother came out of the wings with the college president after having convinced the president that I was a fraud. You know he's a high school dropout anyway, so he doesn't, he doesn't really deserve this. He never should have been matriculated and the president took the diploma out of my hands. And I had dreams, many of these themes, most of which were my mother taking my property, taking my reputation, taking my friends, and enjoying it in public 
and, and enjoying watching me suffer in public while she did it. I knew. I knew. But I couldn't face it. And so I did eventually have to face it. And it felt like it broke me. I don't have anything else to say to you if you are if you're going through this. I'm sorry to tell you that if you have a parent like this, it is something you're going to have to face and it's going to hurt like hell. You will survive though. You will have a scar and you will carry it with you, but you will survive. All right. Coming up on a break here, but I want to promote our Substack because Disaffected is not just a TV show. It's also a blog. Is that the right word for it? I can't. I mean, what do I call it? It's not. It's a stack. I saw somebody say that the other day. I just put up my first stack. <laughs> um, check out the latest uh, long form essay I put up there. It's called There's Got to Be a Morning After. And uh, as you would expect, it's about morbid psychology. It's about, well, it's about depression um, and, a, and a pretty deep depression that I'm coming out of right now that I experienced recently. I have some thoughts on it. You may find them interesting. To give you a little preview, this is a portion of the essay where I talk about the origins of my first clinical depressions and my first experiences of panic attacks. She, my mother, sat in her recliner in the corner of the living room farthest from the door. The curtains were pulled tight so that it was night inside the house, despite the sunny day actually out there in the world. And as she pulled on her endless cigarette and stared at me, the world tilted. I felt dizzy. What I now know was a full panic attack had come over me. It's not the physical sensations that bother me so much in panic attacks, the racing heart and the shaking. It's the mental ones. Panic attacks for me have never been about dying, but about losing my mind. When I have them, I know that I'm going insane and that I'm never coming back. So if that piques your interest, hop over to disaffectedpod.substack.com and take a look. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your support. If you buy a paid subscription, you're supporting not only the show, but the writing that comes out there, and you'll get an invitation to our members-only private Discord chat. So disaffectedpod.substack.com, and we'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. We talk a lot on this show about the excesses of woke and hard left politics, but there is a danger on the right side of the aisle as well. And one of the issues where this shows up is abortion. I am as disgusted and shocked by the bloodthirsty, the apparently bloodthirsty nature of so many pro-abortion activists. There's, there's not even a modesty skirt to cover it over anymore. Um, the, the push to have absolutely no restrictions on abortion right up until the last day of the third trimester. The women who make commercials and spots for places like Planned Parenthood that talk about how wonderful 
their abortion was and how it saved their life and how it and the Hollywood actresses who talk about how they've ne they'd never have a career. They never would have been somebody without their abortion. I'm disgusted by this, too, but I'm also disgusted by the extremity on the other side. And uh, let me share with you a story out of Ohio that shows how far this can go. There really are people on the extreme end of the right who like to punish women. It's true. Whether you want to call them misogynists or something else, they want to control what women do primarily. They're, they call themselves the, these extremists. I'm not saying everybody who, who is against abortion is an extremist. I'm not making that claim. But some of the, the actual extremists who call themselves pro-lifers have, they don't care about abortion. They don't care about unborn children. They don't care about fetuses. They claim to. That is a fig leaf. What they care about is controlling other women, controlling women sadistically. What compels a prosecutor to do this? This is uh, from a UPI story. An Ohio grand jury has decided against indicting a black woman who suffered a miscarriage with felony abuse of a corpse. The Trumbull County Prosecutor's Office said in a statement that the grand jury on Thursday decided not to charge 34-year-old Brittany Watts. Quote, justice has been served, Watts's attorney Tracy Timko said in a statement on Facebook. While the last few months were agonizing for Brittany, the grand jury has spoken and she is vindicated. Watts was about 22 weeks pregnant when she suffered a miscarriage into the toilet of her bathroom on September 22nd after being told by her doctors that her pregnancy was not viable. Quote, the woman then went to the hospital for assistance and police were notified and launched an investigation, finding the remains of the pregnancy at her home. The case was sent to the grand jury for consideration in November. Next quote. The law in question states, among other things, that, quote, no person shall treat a human corpse in a way that would outrage reasonable community sensibilities. Tim Coe recited, this is the lawyer for the uh, defendant, Tim Coe recited this aspect of the law and pointed to those assembled, stating they established that the government can't meet that element. Quote, the only people who were outraged at those who are those who don't understand what miscarriage looks like, she said. Well, it may be that, but it may also just be that they're sadistic. Tyrannical busybodies search for unrelated laws in order to do things like this when they have somebody that they want to put the screws to. And what else could it be but sadism? What else but sadism could motivate anyone to try to prosecute a woman who lost her baby. She had a miscarriage into the toilet. I doubt she was happy about this. She didn't do something. A thing happened to her. Abuse of a corpse? Well, they couldn't, couldn't get her technically on, well, we, we think she actually induced her an abortion. I think that's what's going on. I think they think that she induced an abortion, but they couldn't prove it. So they were going to get her for abusing a corpse in a way that would outrage community sensibilities. What community is inside her bathroom looking at her tragedy? Come on. I see, I, I saw this, these same kinds of laws, um, when I spent 20 years counseling families on how to have a private, old-fashioned, undertaker-free funeral where the family themselves cared for prepared and buried the dead without hiring a commercial funeral home. This is legal in this country. There are several states that put obstacles in the way that I believe are unconstitutional, but they will never be overturned because the state gets everything it wants, um, regardless of how unfair and unjust it is. And I, I had to deal with families who had an, that old-fashioned funeral at home where they kept grandma's body at home for the wake. And some state funeral licensing boards actually lodged charges against some of these next of kin for abuse of a corpse. It was abuse of a corpse not to have a normal funeral at a funeral home because it would outrage community sensibilities. Do your neighbors know you have a dead body in your home? Yes. I've, I've heard these things right out of their mouths. 
What motivates this? Sadism. Cruelty and sadism. And the inability to keep your, biz your nose in your own business. Anger at not having been able to pre-control what other people do. That's what it is. How do you punish a woman for having a miscarriage? You do it because you're sadistic. We're going to have to watch this, those of us on the right. Now, we're going to pick up a theme that we talked about last week, which is Canada cares about criminals. There's yet more. You remember last week we talked about um, how a British Columbia Supreme Court decision has come down that says that the province cannot warn drug addicts away from playgrounds and places where children are at, because if they do that, they will be driving the drug addicts to do what they call loan use, using uh, drugs by themselves, which is statistically correlated with overdose deaths. So we can't warn them away from the kiddie parks because that might drive them underground and they might kill themselves. And that's more important. Making sure that doesn't happen is more important in ev just obviously on its face than the interests of children and families to have a publicly funded playground that is not littered with needles and doesn't have twitching people sitting there threatening your children. Well, this week, <laughs> so let's put up this headline. Kevin, Canadian police warn that posting videos of alleged package thieves could be a violation of their privacy. Um, a Canadian cop got out on TikTok this week and warned the public not to post videos from their doorbell cameras uh, when they see a thief actually stealing their packages from HelloFresh or Amazon or wherever they come from, because uh, the thieves have the presumption of innocence, and you could be violating their right to have a private life by showing their identities out there. It's, it's insane enough, again, that the state is motivated, that they have a desire to do this. I mean, it's insane, right? They have no desire to help people who are victimized by thieves, but they are motivated to help the public image of the thieves. That is such a, I mean, it's a complete moral inversion. It's a complete reversal. But it's also inaccurate. It's wrong. Thieves have the presumption of innocence in court trials. Defendants have the presumption of innocence before the legal system. There is no such binding presumption of innocence on ordinary citizens, especially people who are inside their house and can look out their window and see for themselves that a stranger, a thief, just stole their package. You do not have to presume they are innocent. It's amazing, amazing. And we're gonna revisit some other themes from last week through viewer comments. Um, last week, I asked all of you in the audience if you saw that the infrastructure of our lives, the physical infrastructure and the process infrastructure was falling apart too. And I um, got a lot of response to this. Thank you, I'm gonna read some of them. Jen Kay says, infrastructure here in Australia is falling apart too. We used to have a reliable postal service called Australia Post. I don't know what happened, but now it's useless. And since COVID, they are not accountable for any mistakes. There used to be time guarantees, which would be compensated for if they messed up. But all of that was stopped because of COVID. And now nothing has been reinstated. You pay top money for express mail services, but when they lose your package, not once, but twice, and your expensive live-in, uh, your expensive live item arrives dead, that's just bad luck. And then there was a parcel that got delivered to the right street, but in the wrong suburb. When a signature is required, they're supposed to make at least one attempt to deliver to your house before dropping it at the post office for collection, but half the time they're too lazy and they just take it straight to the post office. I have a car, so it's not too much trouble, but what about people with transport difficulties? And don't get me started on my storm damage home insurance claim last year. It was like having a second job, trying to get that sorted out. Absolute incompetency, which, incompetence, which I think is intentional, they want you to give up and go away so they don't have to pay the claim. Yep, it's global. Everything and everyone is falling apart at the seams. But for me, this has something of a silver lining. When stuff went wrong previously, I always used to blame myself. 
because I was raised that way by a narcissistic father who was always right. So now when stuff goes wrong and it's happening everywhere to everyone, I can relax and know it's not my fault. Well, Jen, <laughs> that's a way to make lemonade out of lemons a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing with the U.S. Postal Service. I, I saw this this morning. Um, I have friends who have shown me pictures of their uh, their mailboxes out on the side of the road. Postal workers now won't even close the door. They won't even close the rain door on your mailbox. They just throw the stuff in and they leave it open. Even if that means it gets rained on to the point where the ink is running and you can't even read uh, who the package is addressed to. And I, as I was driving in here this morning, I saw several instances of it on the country road that I live on. Just left open, snow piled up inside there on top of the mail. New normal. You know what? I don't think it's an accident. I don't think people are that careless, that consistently. I'm almost to the point where I believe it is a conscious, tiny signal of contempt. I think they're trying to communicate contempt. Peter C. 3262 also gave us some feedback, said, when you ask, what do I see? I see international mainstream acceptance and enforcement of woke ideals. This was in response uh, to my question about whether woke was getting better or worse. So Peter says, I hear commentators say they're hopeful and that we're winning all the time. But where I live, the UK, it is against the law to offend certain people and no one is talking about repeal. I can get fired if I don't pretend to agree with the lies. It is illegal for me to freely say what I believe. Anyone who resists, including elected government representatives, is forced to pretend to believe the lies, too. I'm sure you've seen the arrest videos. Yes, Peter, I have seen them. So, no, I don't think you're wrong. I think you're saying clearly we are being lied to, oppressed, and replaced with comment while commentators act like some person getting owned on X or Twitter changes anything. It's a farce. Agreed. And on the question of the origins of wokeness, where this came from, why do we have these lost generations? Viewer Mary Ellen Hussey has um, some really trenchant feedback. Quote, you mentioned that you were interested in your listeners' opinions on the origins of wokeness. Abnormal psychology is a hobby of mine very much the way it is of yours. I agree with you that we have at least two, generation, two young generations of cluster Bs. I have a few ideas about the reasons for this. Let me know if you think I'm off base. Many millennials were raised by traumatized boomers who were raised by traumatized World War II's. At least we boomers had responsibilities, behaved with dignity, and worked hard throughout our lives. We treated others with respect. We were not spoiled and did not expect our parents to defend us if we misbehaved. We roamed our neighborhoods freely and learned most life lessons the hard way. With that said, we, for the most part, did not receive the nurturing or warmth that we needed. We were most likely afraid of displeasing our parents and of the punishments that might come with such behavior. When we had our own children, now millennials and Gen Xers, we wanted to give them the material things we didn't have. <clears throat> as an elementary school teacher and as a parent, I witnessed the enabling and entitling behavior of parents toward their children in the 90s. It was no longer good enough for them to go out and play unstructured and free. They were instead enrolled in structured activities from morning until night. Neighborhood play became, quote, play dates. And sleepovers were suddenly parent-supervised activities. Perhaps these boomer parents were living through their children as they coached their soccer teams and sat in their cars for hours awaiting their daughters and sons after school activities. As a result of the above, many children did not have a real childhood of imaginary play and unstructured activity. Perhaps they're acting out their childhood as young adults. She goes on. Daycare and feminism. I could go on for pages about this, but Erica Commissar details what happens to children when they are left all day, in daycare that is. In short, they secrete cortisol for eight hours and sustain brain damage. I could always pick out the daycare kiddos in my classroom. 
Today, women enter into marriages not realizing there is an option to raise your own children. No, they will not have two SUVs parked in the driveway, but it can be done if planned for. And as to the branch COVIDians, Tom Wood said it best, when a crisis lasts too long, it becomes a religion. For those with free-floating anxiety, the Rona gave them something to live for. How sad. It's interesting how some people buckled under, buckled under the pressure of the media and others didn't. Future sociologists will have a field day. When you, think, when you can't think for yourself, you're more likely to play to obey the rules of others. And she ends, cluster bees are everywhere, enabled, entitled, and always student of the month. The receivers of a sticker, whether they earned it or not. Very well put, Mary Ellen. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who left such cogent feedback um, this week. I appreciate your views. Thank you. <laughs> One more. <laughs> new commenter who, well, maybe new. I didn't recognize his name. Hubris not said, is there an anxiety reducer or a chaser recommended after this podcast? Jesus H. Well, I recommend Klonopin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Thanks, Hubris Not. I appreciate it. It just gets worse from here on out. Trust me. <laughs> Another anxiety reducer, though, actually is to book time to talk to me. If you need an hour to talk privately, with somebody who understands manipulative parents, siblings, bosses, spouses, friends. That's what I'm here for. I give one-hour consultations at joshuaslocum.net. And if you are a paid supporter of Disaffected, thank you very much. You get a $30 discount. So visit me at joshuaslocum.net, and we'll see you on the other side. can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Picture should a nasty sneeze off me. <laughs> this was the Davos meeting of the World Economic Forum with some sort of South American shaman woman. Uh, if you could not see that, she was actually, well, it sounded like sneezing, but she was blowing air directly. She went up to everybody on the stage and did that right into their forehead and their face. These are the same people. These are the same people who wanted you wearing masks and standing six feet apart. Take a look at them now.
I want to actually have an official translation of um, of what she said in her in her indigenous language. It is u e u a a ting tang walla walla bing bang. <laughs> and also mecca leka high, mecca hiney ho. Mecca like a jai, mecca jiny ho. Now you know. <laughs> this this seg this this ending to the show. This is all just fun with video. We're just gonna have fun with video. I saw I saw this. This is a short clip of a conversation between Constantin Kissin of the Estimable Trigonometry Podcast and Michael Malice. I'm not saying we should. Can I interrupt you there? Do you know what? What pisses me off about the world that we live in is that whenever you want to say people. something, <laughs> obviously, uh, you, you know, whenever we want to say something now, we have to do all these fucking 50 caveats, whichever side is going to get triggered by what you're saying. Because the average human mind is a series of mousetraps and those mousetraps are triggered when they hear certain phrases. Yes. So you know perfectly well there's certain phrases and certain uh, constructions that people have preloaded speeches and you know what those speeches are going to be. So I think people who, work, who have the kind of work that we do and travel in the circles that we do, we know exactly what certain things will trigger certain specific mindless reactions. Yeah. Thank you, Constantin. I I feel like you're inside my head and narrating my internal monologue. This is supply your own, not alls. I'm so glad somebody else sees this and that somebody said it. You know, I got one of those. Well, of course I did. I got one the other day on Twitter. I made a generalization, a correct generalization about a group of people. And a, a follower had to come at me and say, I'm not like that. And I don't agree. It's the majority. There's nothing to do with what I said. I didn't say that he was like that. Nor did I say that it was the majority of people. I said, this behavior among this demographic is, in fact, noticeable. It correlates, and they're doing it more than other demographics are doing it. Absolutely true. Everyone knows it's true. But people cannot and will not accept this. I, I don't, I, 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 I sit and I, I ask myself, what is going on with people? What motivates them to react this way and demand the not all and to stick their hand up and say, I'm not that. You're saying I'm not. No, I'm not that. Because, you know, you can't make generalizations or, or analogies anymore. People will not tolerate it. This is, this is new normal. It did not used to be like this in living memory. And the, the, all I can come up with is that what's motivating people is usually emotion. Um, I think many of them feel personally threatened. You know, whether whether they should or not is is not the question. I think they do. They feel personally threatened and they feel personally attacked. Um, if they see if they see anyone saying that the the their favored group or the demographic group that they belong to is anything less than perfect or has noticeable and stereotyped bad behaviors that that are often broadly true, they feel very personally threatened by that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a lack of ability to individuate and say, you know, I may share this sexual orientation, I may share this voting pattern, I may, I may share this skin color, but I am an individual and just because, you know, many people who look or sound like me act this way does not mean that a person is saying, I am, I am this person, I am this stereotype. But sometimes I, 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 I question, if this is an actual decline in genuine intellectual ability, actual IQ ability to grasp abstract thinking, I'm, I'm afraid I think sometimes it is. Anyway, um, let's go to uh, a coffee shop, not for coffee, of course, um, but for the kind of sisters doing it for themselves uh, that we've become used to. This is a young woman picking up a chair. She's hitting her manager. She's she's starting a fight in a coffee shop. I think she just got fired.
Spider-Man. Unbelievable. Do you notice how for these urban scholars, everyone else's name is bitch. Everything is bitch, give me that. Bitch, give me my stuff. Bitch, get out my face. And why is she wearing a mask? <laughs> Honey, getting close enough to hit your manager is not very COVID safe, I feel. <laughs> now, I don't know why she calls herself this, because it doesn't line up with any definition of this term that I've seen used by anyone else, but she does call herself a feminist. I'll give her that. Camille Paglia is a feminist I have time for, and we should have had a lot more time for her over the years, too. Look at this short clip. This is, I believe it's 1994. It's definitely the 90s, but I think it's 1994 with Camille Paglia on the Charlie Rose Show. So this is 30 years ago. I, I'm totally opposed to any politicized agenda in, in, in the classroom, okay? I do not want this crappy melodrama being taught to our students that Western civilization is filled with evil patriarchs and out there are the wonderful people of color. Okay? Well, I, but I don't okay. think anyone that I know of that <sighs> believes that, that, well, just the, think of what you just said. The, the new historicists, listen, you do not, Stephen Greenblatt, the new historicists, okay, who are, I mean, my God, every word out of their mouth is about the evil of Western culture. You that don't know all how bad Western it is. culture is evil yeah, and all. You don't know how bad Asian it is. Asian or African culture oh. is, is oh. unflawed. These people, these people in the who have, have control of the university's humanities departments now yeah. do not believe in great art, okay? They do not believe, they, they believe the dead white European males are, are just... Enlightened and enlightened. Camille Paglia knew a long time ago she's been banging this drum for decades and people did not want to listen to her and she has survived numerous cancellation attempts as a, as a full professor and as an author. Woke did not spring up fully formed in 2016. It did not come out of BLM. It did not come out of Tumblr. Those things catapulted it to cultural dominance. But this did not, this is not a new thing. This has been going on and building for decades. And I'm one of the people who should have listened to Camille Paglia 30 years ago. Charlie Rose is, you know, this is 1994, but it could be today. This could be today. There's nothing to distinguish that from something you could see today. Well, with the exception of the fact that Camille Paglia wouldn't be allowed to be on any show like Charlie Rose today. She simply wouldn't get invited, ever. And Charlie Rose is, was then and appears now as the perfect dismissive, poo-pooing, oh, I don't believe that. She's telling him her experience. She's actually a tenured professor. She sees this. She's been through cancellation campaigns. He's just a commentator on television. And he's telling her he doesn't believe her experience. Oh, I don't believe that. We're still seeing this. People simply decide they don't believe you, even if you are actually the expert who sees it and lives it every single day. And the expression on his face when he was talking back to Paglia communicates to the audience, see my guest as a kook. See me as normal and level-headed. See me as respectable. And the truth be goddamned. The worst part, the worst part of that was when he said, listen to what you just said. Listen to what you just said. It, it sounds just like my mother gaslighting me to make me believe that something true that I said, some true observation I made didn't happen so that I would feel like I was going to be seen by other people as crazy and as non-rational and that no one would take me seriously. I'd be obviously off my nut. Listen to what you just said. At least in my family, the unspoken translation of that is shame. Shame on you. Feel shame. Feel embarrassed. Feel stupid. Oh, boy. Let's leave on a real funny note. You know, you, I was going to call this potpourri du mokery, but it's not really a potpourri. It's, it's just one mokery. This lady... 
Well, she speaks for herself. Let's just play it out, Kevin. It's the same no matter who the Republican nom- the Republican candidate is, the Republican nominee. Well, let me just tell you this. No matter who the Republican nominee is, You're just is, listening. This is Kamala Harris, and then we're going to get do you, You've seen the numbers. You know, a lot. Do you think Donald Trump at this point is a foregone conclusion? Well, I'm really confident we're going to win because we're going to cheat, okay? We're going to cheat. And we have so many different ways how we're going to accomplish that. First of all, we're flooding the country with new voters. I was in charge of ignoring the border in order to make that happen. <laughs> We're going to release a deadly virus, virus disease called X. Elon Musk can't have all the fun. <laughs> you know, once we fear monger the fuck out of everyone, okay? We're going to go ahead and instill mail-in voting. That's how we won last time. Ooh, we've weaponized our entire Department of Justice to go after our opponent, right? And, you know, if all else fails, we'll release the holograms of the aliens and burn the fucking country down, you know, whatever it takes. (laughs) Go America. (laughs) (laughs) That's the show. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next week.